Good morning, Impact. How are you doing? Merry early Christmas to you. Let's dive right in because I got a lot for you today. I have one goal, but it seems like it takes a lot to pull this goal off. How many of you would say that joy is somewhat elusive this time of year? Just can you be honest? Just raise your hand. Tell me if it's, it's, if it's a little hard to find. A few of you are honest. The rest of you are like, if you got so much joy, where is it, people? Should be showing. Somebody should have notified your faces if the joy is there. Well, listen, for most people, I'm glad. I'm glad a, a lot of you can find it. But for most people, joy is a little bit elusive. Actually, most people don't even understand what it is. Thomas Jefferson said that life, liberty, and the pursuit of joy, right? No. He said happiness. I think most people don't even know what joy is. So how can we pursue something that we don't know of? In the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, anybody see that movie? Raise your hand if you saw that Will Smith movie. And uh, he's frustrated. I mean, this guy's got more things that go wrong than Schlepprock. I don't know if any of you remember him, the unlucky guy on the classic Oscar award-winning cartoon, The Flintstones. So everything goes wrong. He, he's a very intelligent guy, but he can't get a job. Things get stolen from him. The, the, his wife wants to leave him all the time. She just says he's not an adequate provider. He almost loses his son, not just misplaces him, but loses him, has him taken away, has to live in hotels, actually spends a night in a subway bathroom with his son. I mean, terrible life, but he's a brilliant guy who's, who just never stops clawing and trying to pursue happiness. But on one particularly rainy evening where he has missed his bus and torn his suit and lost his shoe and lost his job, he makes a phone call home to find out he's lost one more thing. He's lost his wife, too. Take a look. Hello? Hey. Yeah, sorry, sorry I couldn't make it home on time. Chris, uh, I missed my ship. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm sorry about that. Look, uh, I'm on my way right now. Are you, are you all right with, with Christopher? I'm leaving. Chris, I'm leaving. What? Did you hear what I said? I have my things together. And I'm taking our son. And we're going to leave now. I'm going to put the phone down. Linda, I'm going wait to a leave. minute. Hold we on. We are leaving. It was right then that I started thinking wait, about wait. Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence and the part about our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? That maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue and maybe we can actually never have it, no matter what. How did he know that? That's actually a key question today. Can we get it? Why did Thomas Jefferson, why did the founding fathers feel that way? Life, they throw in. Liberty, not the pursuit of liberty, obviously not the pursuit of life. And I think they meant really living life. But when it comes to happiness, they don't just say happiness. They say the pursuit. You have the right and the freedom in this country to chase it all day long. But here's the question. Can you catch it? Is happiness something that you can get, that you can achieve, that you can catch? God's word says to people suffering like somebody, like that character in that movie. That's a true story, by the way, The Pursuit of Happiness. It says there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. But I think we hear something like that and we go, hmm, joy. Uh, no thanks. How about happiness? 
I want happiness. I don't, I don't know what joy is, but I'll take happiness. I think most people don't really understand joy. I mean, if, we're, if we did understand it, here's the sad thing. We look for it, all the places that society tells us we ought to look for happiness, we look for joy. And what if we're looking in the wrong place for the wrong thing? What's the likelihood we're going to find it? I mean, let's say you're in Walmart and, and there's a family that runs up to you and God forbid this ever should happen. Let me describe this family because they're polar opposite of another family I'm going to describe. Let's say an African-American family comes up with you. We've lost our seven-year-old son. Okay, looks a little like his dad and, and can you help us find him? Sure, I can. I'm good at this. I trace kids for a living. I'm a detective. I will help you. I will find your son. Just let me get a flight to Holland. What? Well, that's where I think I'm likely to find. So you fly to Holland and you look for a girl wearing clogs and with blonde hair. That's, that's a little off, isn't it? You're not likely to find their son in Holland with blonde hair, the wrong sex, wearing clogs, if anybody wears those anymore. But that's how ridiculous our pursuit of joy is. And the Bible talks about joy a lot. It talks about joy a whole lot more than it talks about happiness. It's as though there's something a notch above, just like there always is with God. There's always the deep, real richness of what he brings, and then what the world tries to counterfeit that's a cheap imitation, almost like garbage and in comparison. And at Christmas time, I think people are clamoring for happiness because they don't understand joy. And I think they're scratching and clawing for it, maybe more than any other time of year. But what if it looks completely different than what we've been sold? I mean, what if it looks completely different than what we're looking for? And what if we're looking in the wrong places? I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to misplace things. We're, we're professionals in the Singleton household of misplacing things. And keys, wallets, all that. Me and my son, we rule the roost when it comes to that. Almost every day. And we usually, it takes us forever sometimes to find it because we usually look in the wrong places for the wrong things, wrong wallet, wrong set of keys. And what if we're doing that? looking in all the wrong places for the wrong thing or the wrong person or relationship. Dr. Ray Pritchard, his pastor that I really love, he says, if there's a single word that describes Christmas and what it's all about, it would have to be that little three-letter word, joy. I mean, think about it. We just sang some Christmas songs this morning. Several of our favorite carols mention it. Joy to the world. It's the first word, kicking it right off. The Lord has come. Oh, come all ye faithful Joyful and triumphant. Are you guys with me? You ever sing Christmas carols? Oh, come all you faithful, joyful and triumphant. I think we, we hear that middle word. I wonder if we even think about it. Joyful? What's a joyful person even look like? Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? That's just a weird sounding song. We just sing that traditionally. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. <laughs> Got to make it rhyme somehow. I wonder if us, how many of us feel joyful this morning sitting in church. We got a bunch of people that probably didn't even make church because they're clamoring trying to make Christmas happen. But if they're not here worshiping the Lord, they're looking in all the wrong places. At all the wrong things, probably year after year. It's not hard to find. It's not hard to feel joy when you come to church, I think, and sing wonderful songs. But it's not always easy to feel joyful. And I think the church sometimes does a poor job because a lot of times we have our little platitudes like don't do this and do this and follow this list. And you sort of leave church, sadly, because it should never be the case, but feeling anything but joyful. See, joy is trickier than you might think. 
It really is, because a lot of folks get joy confused with its distant cousins and contentment and the third cousin, happiness. They're not even close cousins. They're distant cousins. And we sort of lump it all in there. But if you could use one word to describe Christmas, I'll bet for most of you, unless I said it at first, it wouldn't have been joy. When some of you use the cop-out, because whenever you're asked a Christian question, your answer is always Jesus, because you think that's safe, right? Just answer Jesus at home group. Just answer Jesus in Sunday school. Just answer Jesus, and you're right all the time. Unless it's a question about Satan. Then you'd be really, really wrong, all right? You got it? But most of the time, nine times out of ten, that's the right answer. But this one, that'd be the wrong. It's, it's joy that comes as a result of Jesus coming. Joy. It's the best description of what Christmas should be. But to many people, I think they would use other words. And I've heard Christians use these words as they get caught up in a rut in Christmas. I've said, what's Christmas right now? Right now it's a headache. Right now it's bothersome. Right now I've never been so busy. I just wish this thing would end. Right now it's about eating too much and I want to go back on my diet and go, well, then you've derailed somewhere. You derailed on Christmas. And you're off track. You'll never find joy. Joy is interesting in this way too and and you need to know because we're going to try an interesting experiment today to try and get you. See, joy and happiness, they shouldn't be so closely aligned. One's a cheap imitation of the other. Somehow our society has Velcroed these things together. And today I want to rip that off, however that Velcro sound goes. And here's the deal. Here's why I want to do that. Because if you look at a throne and you look at ruling, then joy and happiness can't be on the same throne if you want to be joyful. But it's interesting. If happiness is on the throne, you'll never be joyful. But if joy is on the throne, you can be happy and joyful. So joy is a better better thing to have on the the throne. Joy is a better thing to focus on, but it is tricky. And it's tricky because, gang, I don't think our society, right, here's the main problem. They have no idea what it is. Do you? Of course I do, Pastor Rob. Joy's got to be the easiest thing in the world, and I'd explain it if I didn't already know that you're going to preach about it and explain it for me. We really, we really don't know. I mean, think about it. Isn't happiness kind of, yeah, I'm pretty content. I'm pretty happy. Man, I'm here with my, my brothers. We're watching football, feeling pretty good. But joy's a little bit nutty, like, <laughs> right? When somebody's joyful, they're, they're a little bit nutty. Eggnog with vodka mixed in a little over. The, that person's joyful. They got a lampshade on their head. They go, okay, they're not happy. They're joyful. So joyful's it's just, we don't know what to do with it. It's like steroids, happiness on steroids. It's too much. It's over the top. But is that joy? Some of you going, go back to that laugh again, Pastor Rob, because I don't think that's joy. I think that's psychotic. I think that's something different. It's not a word we use very much today. People might say, I just want to be happy. But honestly, I can't think of a single person that I remember that goes, I just want to be joyful. I, don't, I mean, it's almost Shakespearean, Right? It's gone. It's lost for like a hundred years. And, it, and I'll give you an example. Some of you are going, ah, it's out there. We just sang about it. You did, but you sang an old hymn. You don't use it today. Words change their meaning. Words are, they, they morph or they get hijacked or something happens, right? I'll give you an example. You're not going to like it. Here's an example. If you use the real meaning, you ought to feel perfectly content using it all the time, okay? I thought I heard Lorenzo. There's Lorenzo. Today, because I know you know this word, I want you to go out. And use it today. I want you to tell everybody, today's a wonderful day. I'm feeling gay. Could you do that for me? With pleasure. With pleasure? That's what scares me about you. <laughs> I mean, try that today, guys, especially you. When you're hanging out with your friends today, let's watch some football because I'm feeling really gay. 
Well, it's a very gay day. You know what it means? Some of you are going, well, you're going way too far. No, it means happy. That's what it originally meant. The word's been hijacked. The word's been morphed. It's been taken by other people. That's what it means. And joy has changed into something. It's actually been watered down into where it barely means anything. Or it just means a little bit nutty. Like I said, too much eggnog, too much to drink. That person's a little fruity. Here's the difference. You and I need to understand the difference or both will elude us this Christmas time. If you don't get the difference, you won't get either one, really. You get a cheap imitation of a little shadow of happiness. Now listen, there's hope because everybody gets this. You know, even Hollywood gets this, so here's what I want to do over the next half hour or so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of bombard you with some movie clips, all right? A little bit of Hollywood day to day because I want you to see that even they get the shadow of it. It's in the recipe of a lot of their movies, not the tragedies, but let's say you were to take a movie where the beginning, you might see glimpses of happiness or somebody scrambling to get something. But in the end, when they bring the movie to resolution, they're going to have some joyful moment. They won't even know it. So in the beginning, you'll see happiness and it's eh. Or you'll maybe even see worse. You'll see a tragedy. But at the end, you know, the reason they make it an Oscar award winning is there's the pivotal moment. There's the rejoicing. And there's reasons for that. It's a great recipe. It wins Oscars. And we'll look, like I said, at a couple of them. The first one is, it could happen to you. How many of you saw this with Nicolas Cage and Rosie somebody? All right, both of you, this is, uh, let me explain it for the other, other bunch of you that did not see this movie ever. It's about winning, the, the, it's, a, it's really about what doesn't make you happy. And the star of it is Nicolas Cage, and he's married to um, this woman, I don't remember her name, but she's selfish. What? Easy with that. She, your hero? All right, Rosie Press. She's married to her. That's the real, I don't know what their character names were. And they're, she's, she's shallow, okay? She just wants him to make more money. Whatever he does is not enough. Where they live is not enough. Their lifestyle is not enough. And she would be happy, and she makes it plain. If I had more money, if I just had more money, be happy. And so she's always doing the lottery thing. Real goofy doing it. Like, play these mystical numbers. Don't get them wrong. If you do, you're going to be in real trouble. And so they're going to play it one day, and they win. They win the lottery, and she thinks it'll bring her happiness. And take a look. 64, 84. Did he say 26? Those numbers again are 6, 12, 16, 26, yeah. 64, yeah. 84. Yeah. When we return sports with Larry Lipson. Was that a little bit like the nutty thing? little crazy. Now, that's it. That's pretty much all you'll see from her that is crazy happy. And then after that, she clamors for money. And she especially gets upset when she finds out that her husband has a little dilemma. See, he made a promise, and he doesn't want to compromise his integrity, but he made a promise with a waitress that he could not tip because he didn't have enough money. He had a lottery ticket, and he goes, I'll tell you what, if I win, I'll give you half. And so right now, he's in a struggle because he's realizing i got to keep my word. And he's thinking, should I just throw my integrity out or do I go back and honor this? And to make matters worse, when he heard about this waitress, her life was really tough. I mean, she's filed for bankruptcy. She's really gone through a lot. So obviously, he's in a dilemma. Now, I want you to hold on to that. I'll let you see a little bit more about that later. Do this with a couple. In another movie starring, coincidentally, Nicolas Cage. He thinks he knows what happiness is. He's the head of a billion-dollar corporation, and money is his god. So take a look at this. Family man. MedTech shares fall any lower than 43. We're in trouble with the stock valuation, so for God's sake, please, watch what you say to your institutional customers. 
We still have almost a full day of trading before zero hour, and I don't want any trouble. Penny, for your thoughts, Alan. Huh? Oh, God, I'm sorry. Jack, I was thinking about, you know, Dee and the kids. I promised I'd be home for dinner. It's Christmas Eve, Jack. Where's that tonight? <laughs> you think I like being here on Christmas Eve, Alan? Not well. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, maybe I do have a touch of tunnel vision this holiday season. But in two days, we're going to announce one of the largest mergers in U.S. corporate history. When a deal like this turns up, you get on it and you ride it till it's over. You don't ask it for a vacation. December 26th. After that, there'll be so much money floating around here, it'll be like Christmas every day. December 26th, people, if, if you'd like to celebrate that day, you all have my blessing. You're right, Jack. I'm, I'm really sorry. No, I don't want you to be sorry, Alan. I want you to be excited. I want my gift to you to be the first gift you open this year. You know why? I, because my gift comes with ten zeros. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm focused on there. Good man. Everybody turn to page 12 in your prospectus. I don't want you to be sorry, Alan. I want you to be thrilled because my gift to you comes with ten zeros. <laughs> okay, I am. There's money. It's a corporation. There's power. But I didn't see any joy in that room. So again, I just want you to hold that. We're not going to resolve it. going to leave it hanging because I'm cruel and I like doing that. Now, one more. In the movie, not starring Nicolas Cage, ironically, called The Mission, there are some very wealthy aristocrats, but they're shallow and mean and enslaving. They think they're better than everyone else. They enslave a whole people, a whole race, and they're too blinded to see how lost and empty they are. Take a look. Maybe it's just me. I was thinking back this week about how many times Hollywood gets this, or doesn't get it, rather. And I look at that, not many of those situations to me seem very full of contentment or happiness, certainly not joy. I hope you didn't miss it. They seem shallow to me. They almost seem based on circumstances. If things go right, we'll feel good. And none of these people seem to really even understand the difference between happiness and joy. To them, like many of us, joy just seems a little out there. A little too much. Like I said, like happiness may be on steroids. That's that thing we don't really want. That'd make us crazy. To many people's minds, it'd be like your doctor who knows you're sick and you need treatment. Maybe you need chemo or maybe you need some radiation. So, he's, so he suggests that. This is what you need. It's good for you. Therefore, I'm going to get you a plane ticket and I'm going to suggest you move to Chernobyl and spend the rest of your life there. Because there's a lot of that radiation I'm talking about hanging out there. But that'd be crazy. That's over the top. That's ridiculous. That ruins it, right? Or most people like perfume. How many of you like the smell of perfume? Raise your hands. How many of you like aftershave? You like the smell of aftershave? A little less? Most of the teenage guys down here. I'm not sure what that is all about. So uh, just honest at Christmas time here. Hopefully this person isn't here. But how many of you have a relative that likes it too much? Anybody have that? And so they'll come in, and it's like they bathed in it, something, right? I mean, a beautiful smell, but there's so much. You're like, oh, Aunt so-and-so is coming. Everybody, you know, wear their nose plugs. Wow. <laughs> you remember Pigpen on Charlie Brown? Wherever he goes, a, smokes, a little smoke of dirt is there, right? Well, we've got this one relative in our family. Wherever they come, a dust cloud of perfume is there. and You just can't hardly breathe. I don't know what they're thinking. Too much of even a good thing is, will gag you. What about music? Anybody like music here? 
You like music? All right, good. How about if it's played so loud that blood actually comes out of your ears? You like that? Some of you probably do like that. Too much, right? Too much of a good thing, and it's not good anymore. And so we look at joy, and we go, well, I don't want that. I just want to be happy. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be content. I don't want joy. That's just, that's over the top. I don't want to be silly, laughy, giggling fool in the corner. But that's not joy. It's not joy at all. That's a complete misunderstanding of what joy is. So some people think the two words are synonymous, or maybe joy is, like I said, Shakespearean. It's way back then, and it's, it's just... Well, it's a different word for happiness, I guess, that old English used. I think it's a shame. Because if you don't know what joy is and you settle for happiness, it's like settling for mud pies when you could have the real thing. So easily. It's like settling for dumpster diving for your food when you got plenty, the means to buy regular food or dumpster diving for, here's a shirt somebody threw out, I'll wear that when you could buy clothes. It's settling, settling. Christmas time, the one word to describe it is Joy. More pivotal than any other word. And we're talking about a time of year where the Son of God came, not for the miraculous birth. It's funny, Easter ought to be the biggest celebration, but it's usually Christmas. But think about the miracle of Christmas. The eternal God who never had a beginning and will never have an end steps into time and says, I'm going to do this like everyone else. I will become fully man, wraps around him human flesh, grows like we grow, learns, probably gets picked on, but never sins. And then fulfills his mission, which was, I came not to live, not to be born, but to die, to give the gift of my perfect life in place so that they might have life, and that life might be abundant and overflowing, which is another way of saying filled with joy. And it'll deliver if you get it, if you receive it. That's joyful news. That's why if you turn in your Bibles to Luke 2, it's like the biggest chapter in all the Bible, because Luke's the biggest book of Jesus' life that people use, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but Luke has more in there anywhere else, and it's, it's the most used gospel for Christmas time. Luke 2, verse 10, says, the angel said to the shepherds out in the field, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So what makes news? Here's my question to you. What, what makes anything, but what makes news joyful? I have a few things that might help you unvelcro joy and happiness. Here's some things. Well, joy is usually unexpected. I mean, we're expecting something else, and then all of a sudden something good happens. So joy is, is kind of filled with grace. It's unexpected. It's unlikely. I mean, what are the chances? It's unworthy. So you get something, you go, but I don't deserve this. Joy is usually involved somewhere there. It can be things that were previously even unknown, and it's usually something that's unequaled in our life. Joy is the great contrast emotion. It usually comes unexpectedly as a relief after something painful, after something fearful, or after a situation that's hopeless. That's where joy comes in. But you know what I found elicits joy probably more than, than, than anything else? That's this. It's the level of the circumstances. It, it's, it's when the stakes are the highest. The higher the stakes, the greater the opportunity for joy. I mean, if something really dangerous is happening and you get rescued, then there's going to be great joy. I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a lot of them in Scripture, but let me show you. First Samuel, you don't have to turn there, but First Samuel chapter 11, verses 8 through 9, says when Saul mobilized the people at Bezek, he found that there were 300,000 men from Israel and 30,000 men from Judah. Now, why is he mobilizing them? Because one of their towns is under siege by 
the enemy and they're doomed. There's not enough of them in the town. They're going to be killed. So Saul sent messengers back to Jabesh Gilead to say, we will rescue you by noontime tomorrow. And there was great joy throughout the town when the message arrived. So it came from a message, but it can't just be any message, right? And what if he sent a message that said, I know you guys are hungry, so free dominoes for everyone. All right? By noon tomorrow, you'll have pizza. We'll get it in. Don't worry. Uh, that's great. So we'll have one more meal, but we're still going to die. But though this, this was different. This is, no, we'll rescue you. This situation will end. I know it's unexpected. I know you maybe don't even feel worthy, but it's going to happen. And if you skip down to verse 15, it says, then they offered, so he rescues them. And then they offered peace offerings to the Lord and Saul. And all the Israelites were filled with joy. There's that word again. So one, it came from a rescue that was totally unexpected, maybe felt unworthy. And then there it is again when you are offering to the Lord or giving back because you have received something so great. So there's two scenarios in there where you're likely to see joy. So major rescue can lead to joy. Major celebration can result. A happy celebration can turn into one for joy. So listen, they weren't merely content being rescued or even happy. They were overjoyed. And when Saul came, when the message came, they didn't say, well, that's great. Let's take a moment of silence to just be thankful for that because we're really happy. We feel good about that rescue. We were going to die, and after all, guys, we're not now. So it's good. I feel comfortable about that. No, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be over the top, right? It's a definite separation there. They weren't merely content. What was King David's reign mostly known for? Do you guys remember? It was known for war. He was a king of war. His sons was known for peace. And when David's reign was ending, even though the people were feared and the kingdom was established and there was a time of peace coming, the people were joyful because finally it could end. I mean, even if you're winning all the battles, nobody likes to be at war and have tension and have this animosity with people all the time. When it ends, there's a chance for joy. So major life change to the positive can bring, can equal Joy. There's great joy when something that was loved and lost is restored. There's all these hints in the Bible. I'm trying to give you little differences here. When something that is lost, because there's the unexpected again. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. There's all this great joy. Think of all the parables Jesus told of lost things. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. All these things. There's great rejoicing and joy when that thing that was lost is found, when that thing that was lost or that person that was lost returns home. And the opposite is true too. When beauty and freedom and truth are taken away, think about it. Joy goes right out the door with it, right? And so one thing I don't see a lot in our culture and in our country today is a lot of joy. There just doesn't seem to be much joy today. And isn't it interesting that a lot of our freedom to worship and a lot of our freedoms, in particular, are slowly being squeezed and taken away. And we're signing up for it. And we're saying, okay, and we're just standing around while it happens. But have you noticed that the joy's draining out of our country? In the time of Christ, there was one job, perhaps lower than any other job on earth that you could do. That was the job of a shepherd, sheep herding. Their work was considered unclean. Shepherds made up the lowest class of people Coming in just a, a nick above lepers. That's where they were. 
In fact, in the Talmud, which is a collection of interpretations and insight from the Jewish rabbis, we read these words, quote, no help is to be given to heathens or shepherds. Wow. Man, they're, they're, they're the lowest of the low. In order to understand how unusual it would have been, because we read Luke 2.10, these angels appeared, fear not, for, great, for good news of great joy has come to you. Shepherds. In order to see how unexpected and how unworthy and how unlikely this is, let's look at the shepherds a minute. They were considered ceremonially unclean because of the nature of their work. They're, they're, they couldn't even go to the religious ceremonies. So here you have shepherds, and at this time of the year, you know what sheep they're watching over? They're watching over the Passover lambs that are going to be used in the Passover sacrifices for none other than Passover. Guess what? They can't go. They're the ones protecting the lambs, but they can't go to Passover because they're unclean. They were isolated and forgotten because their flocks needed to move around to find new pasture and to find water. So they never stayed in one place very long, so they didn't develop very deep relationships. They were treated with contempt and mistrust. They were suspected all the time because they moved around a lot. And if anything disappeared, you'd say the shepherds probably took it when they were in town. You know how those shepherds are. And their testimony was not even allowed in court. Two groups that could not give testimony. Women in those days were not allowed to give testimony. And shepherds. Probably three. Probably lepers too. But they weren't allowed even in town. So you can kind of get a picture of what they were thought of. Or what was thought of them. They were known to be brash and bold and speak when they shouldn't. And they lived out in the fields away from society, which made them unappealing and mysterious and off and weird a little bit to most people. And most of them had foul mouths and they're ready to fight at the drop of a hat. But this in and of itself isn't what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to get. This shouldn't just be great news for them. It should be great news for you and me. I'm an ordinary person, and I assume most of you are too. And so this tells me that joy is on a lower shelf than people have it. Joy is attainable for anyone. That's the good news. So then how, how come most people don't have it, Pastor Rob? Well, if it's on such a low shelf, I'm going to tell you how low it is. Little kids, they seem more joyful than anybody, don't they? Little kid just learns to walk. They're giggling and laughing all the time, right? That's how low a shelf it's on. Little two-year-old who can barely walk, just like this, can find joy right where they're at. But you know what we do? We climb and we scratch and we claw after things and positions for happiness. So we're climbing to look just over the next hill for it. Well, we probably stepped on it on our way up and just considered it so beneath us. And then we're just mashing it with our feet while we're clawing to try and find happiness. Something that was much better is beneath us. It's on a very low shelf. The one we ignore and use to climb up. It's right there. Reminds me of any kind of theme park. Anytime you go in a theme park, one thing I guess they've figured out about kids, there's a cheap way to satisfy little kids. Just have balloons. Never been in any theme park that didn't have balloons somewhere. You can see this whole thing transition if you just stick by the balloons. If you're cruel and you like to see kids cry, stick by the balloons. Because people come in and any, you know, three, four, five-year-old's going to go, I want a balloon, I want a balloon, and most parents will give in. Just to shut them up, right? So you buy a little helium field balloon and you give it to the kid and they're, they're basically weeping and gnashing of teeth before they get that balloon. I want that balloon. I will not be happy until I have a balloon. As soon as you put it in their little, their little ham fist and they have it, and they're walking around, they're kind of content, right? For a few minutes. 
But they'll look at something and they'll just be, you know, and this will happen, right? And the balloon will go up in the air and stick around because you can see some amazing anguish at that moment. <laughs> Watch the balloon float up and then look at the kid and they're like, ah! <laughs> they're just screaming about a little piece of nothing floating off. That's what happiness is like. Grip it real tight when you have it, but just let go for a moment. You focus. It's gone. Little kids get this. You see, the whole thing transition with balloons, but we can't get it in life. It's really that easy. Notice how every year there's a celebrity baby due to be born. You're really kind of ADD, aren't you, Pastor? Weren't we on balloons? Yeah, but we're on, we're on babies now. Last year it was Prince William and Kate Middleton. They were having their kid, and it was just all over everywhere. I mean, it paid them a million dollars to get a picture of that baby on the cover of People. Wow. I'd probably give a photograph away of my kids if I'd get a million dollars, right? But a million dollars, right? And then what was the one this year? It was the Kardashian kid, right? Right? You don't remember? Rosemary's baby, the Kardashian kid. Okay? Maybe that would help you. So you have that, and people claim, well, what if? Just, just what if? And we look at it, we pay millions, we clamor, it's all over the papers, there's big parties, there's big celebrations, and then you kind of look at the way Jesus was born. And today, this morning, I hope you see how much of this is just going to be flipped upside down. Joy doesn't work the way we think. Imagine, if you will, that when there's a child that's born, that instead of all the media attention and birth announcements to presidents and heads of states and covers of magazines and money being paid out, that the news of their birth is delivered only to dock workers in the middle of the night. But that's crazy, right? But nobody will find out. But that's, that's pointless. They don't even, they're, but that's exactly what Jesus did. Now I'm skipping all that. He could have gone to Caesar, Augustus, most powerful man alive, supposedly. Could have gone to King Herod right there. Could have gone to all the kings simultaneously. Got his omnipresence. Skipped all of them to go to the dirty little shepherds out in the field. Because he wanted to connect it all. And, and this is how joy works. But I'm afraid that if we don't get, in a moment, we're going to take a look at joy. And I'll break it down as simply as I can. J-O-Y. And you're going to see that we've invented a new word I like to call yaj. It's joy backward. Some of you are like, I never use that word, Pastor. You don't use it, but you live it. And I live it. When you see what joy is and how you get there, you're going to find out that we, we live for yaj. We don't live for joy. So God entrusts the greatest message ever sent from heaven to a bunch of smelly, stinky, low-life shepherds. And actually, this isn't unusual in the Word of God at all. In fact, in Matthew 9, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. And later on, he says, I haven't come to call the rich. And all those people who think they have it made, I didn't even, I'm skipping them. I'm going to the lowly. I'm going to sinners. I mean, look how Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus and Levi, tax collectors, hated people, prostitutes, demon-possessed, strangers, Samaritans. Not the religious. Look at his disciples. There's not a, there's not a, a good Ivy League resume among them. There's not a religious person. There's not a, a priest wannabe. There's not an up-and-coming bishop. There's, not, there's just the blue-collar people. They're fishermen. They're carpenters. He skipped the high and mighty. And went to the everyday people. Luke 1.52, just right before this, says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. He said, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. He chose the lowly things of the world. He chose the despised things so that no one would boast before him. And don't miss that key. That's why. That's why joy works and yaj doesn't. He chooses the despised things of the world so that no one would what? Okay, what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? What separates it? All the religions are about what you do to impress God so that he will let you in. Somehow, it boils down to that. But Christianity alone is about what has been done for you, right? Now think if it was about what you do, think about what heaven would be like. Wouldn't it just be one big bragging session, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd be up there and Lorenzo would come in and he's like, man, I'm just... First of all, I'd, you know, I'd be shocked. Hey, Lorenzo, how'd you make it? How'd you get in here? And then I'd show Lorenzo, here's my resume. Here's what I did. And Lorenzo would go, actually, you know, a few years when you weren't looking, here's what I did. And I actually should be here. And maybe you shouldn't be here. And then Del Rey would come in and put us both to shame. And it would just be, but you know who wouldn't be talked about? Who wouldn't be talked about? Jesus. Well, we'll never, we never really get to what he did because we're too busy bragging about how we got. It can't be that way. Because it's got to be all about Jesus. And if you can get in by any merit of your own, then he's not necessary. So it can't be yaj. It's got to be joy. Notice it doesn't say, and there were, you know, it says there were shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. It doesn't say, behold, in the same region, there were scribes keeping watch over their scrolls. No. It doesn't say, and just outside the birthplace of the king of kings, there were CEOs keeping watch over their portfolios. No. Lo, in the same meadows, the angels appeared to the movie stars keeping watch over their Oscars. And behold, he came to rock stars polishing their Grammys. No, nope, he didn't say that. And behold, the angels appeared all at once to the Ivy Leaguers hanging their diplomas to the athletes looking at their Super Bowl rings. None of that. None of that. The Lord comes to the lowly, to the most undeserving, unexpected, to the neglected and the marginalized in order to show his power and grace and love and the contrast. And the contrast. So joy comes to the lowly and it comes for those who long for it most and who are waiting for it most and who have cleared away all the junk so they can see it most clearly. Why did joy come to the shepherds? We already said it. Unexpected, unlikely, unworthy, unknown, unequal. That's why. God loves to show his glory through those that are most unlikely. Paul said in Romans 8.18, Yet what we suffer now is nothing to be compared to the glory that will be revealed later. There's such a contrast. Matthew 5.4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They will rejoice. Okay, when, Pastor Rob? How? How do we connect? Here's what I want you to get. Let's take Yaj in our last few moments and we'll resolve those movies, okay? And I hope to tear that Velcro apart. I hope you get it as you leave because there's only one way to give it away. You have to have it first. So let's look at joy. What do you suppose the J stands for? Right, that's the answer to everything. Jesus. This time it is, though. It is the answer. You guys are right. Joy begins and ends with a Savior. It has to. But not as priority number one. More as central. You see the difference? You put them center of your life, and then everything you do, your work, your neighborhood, your school, everything, 
your relationships, your marriage, all that finances, it all rotates around him. If you put him first, then you'll put a lot of time into him, but all the rest of the time, he maybe falls down here. So don't put him first, put him in the middle. And rotate everything. So it all starts, it has to. My favorite Christmas special is Charlie Brown Christmas. You guys ever seen that? You like that one? I love the part, Charlie Brown tries all the world stuff. He tries to find happiness and he can't, but he ends up finding joy, but not before a crisis. Or he has to be rescued by Linus and his blanket. Because Charlie Brown says, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? Remember that? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And lo, in the fields at night. And so he starts talking about Luke chapter 2. He, he recites it. Word for word. What it's all about. But I think we've forgotten that Christmas is not primarily about us or our family or our friends or church or presents. It's about Jesus. And in fact, if you don't get this right, then O and Y don't really matter. It's already, it's already too late. The great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and others as yourself. So have you guessed what the O is? Others. You guys are sharp. Nine o'clock was like, there's O, and you just said, no, they, you guys are sharp, but you got it. Focusing on Jesus should also help us develop the attitude that he said would bring us the most joy by giving things away, giving things away, putting others first, your neighbor as yourself. All right, so here's our three Hollywood movies. Let's see how they resolve, and if we can spot the difference, I'm not just going to hand feed it to you between happiness and joy. First, the lottery movie could happen to you. Did money bring joy or giving to others bring joy. Take a look. About our little agreement. Huh? Double the tip or half of what I won in the lottery. That agreement. How about we make it your choice? Door number one, double the tip. Door number two, half of what I won in the lottery. My choice. Okay. <clears throat> Whatever, I'll take door number two. I'll take half of the lottery. Pay up. For sure. Positive. I was hoping you'd say that. I'll bet you were. Better luck next time, right? Oh, actually, we were, uh, <laughs> we were pretty lucky. Oh, really, did you win something? We won something. All right. What? We won something? What did we win? Four million dollars. This is not a joke. No. No. What you're telling me, what you're saying to me, that you're really... What, you think I'd make this up? Yes, yes, I do. I'm not. We won. The lottery. The, the New York State, the lottery lottery, the actual lottery, New York State lottery, $4 million. Yes, $4 million is our share. Happened last night. Well, it would have been more, except a, a bowling team from Albany called in. They took about $9 million out of the pot, but we won. And you're telling me that you're actually going to split it with me? A promise is a promise. Because I 
accept this. I mean, I want to. So desperately, I, I, I want to, but it, it... But there's this part of me, it's a neurotic part of me, I'll admit... Accept it. How can I? Accept it. I want you to have it. With all my heart. Yvonne, take it. So that one was a little bit more subtle, but it was there a couple times. He's the one that found the joy, giving $2 million away. One, the first word that indicated it was starting to appear was a promise is a promise. And I think he felt how his integrity was worth more than money. And take it. I want you to have it. And even wiping the tear from his eye as he watched. There was real joy in that. Well, jumping around and screaming is one thing, and that's kind of happiness. It is momentarily, and it's connected with the lottery. But giving away to others, that began to introduce this somewhat nebulous thing called joy. Now, how about the other movie? How about Family Man? What I didn't tell you is that this movie sort of a modern-day Christmas carol. It's, it's, it's like a Scrooge movie. And there's a very unorthodox kind of hip-hop angel that comes into this thing, if you've seen it. And he gives them a chance, and he says, you know what? You are wealthy, but you show some promise, and so here's the deal. You know what your life would have been like if you didn't end up the, at this company and giving your life for money and power and all that? It would have ended different had you not gotten on that plane and walked away from your fiancé and taken some time to pursue that one job and instead pursued her. Your life would have looked like this. And so it goes, and he sees his family, and he sees his kids, and he starts living. At first, it's a struggle because he loses his money, and he has this job that doesn't pay very much. But then he finds out how great and how valuable. And he's filled with joy, something he never saw before. But then he makes a mistake because just like it's a wonderful life, there's a bell you ring, and the angel comes, and his little girl rings the bell on her bike by accident. And so the angel comes back, and he's going, no, I don't want to leave this life. I found meaning, in it and I found joy. And so the only thing left for him to do is to try and scramble when he's back to his, his CEO self to try and get that back. Take a look. Kate! You can't go. Don't get on that plane. Please, let's just go have a cup of coffee. That, that's all I'm asking for. I'm sure there's another flight to Paris tonight. Jack, what are you doing here? Do you need closure? Because if you do, after all these years, you got it. I I'm okay. I'm fine. I, I was heartbroken, Jack, but I got over it. I moved on, and you should move on too, okay? I, I, I'm sorry, I just can't, I, I've gotta go. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Jack, sorry, excuse me. Can I just, I'm sorry, I was here. We have a house in Jersey. We have two kids, Annie and Josh. Annie's not much of a violin player, but she tries real hard. She's a little precocious, but that's only because she says what's on her mind. And when she smiles... And Josh, he has your eyes. He doesn't say much, but we know he's smart. 
He's always got his eyes open. You know, he's, he's, he's always watching us. Sometimes you can look at him and, and you just know he's learning something new. It's like witnessing a miracle. The house is a mess, but it's ours. After 122 more payments, it's going to be ours. And you, you're a nonprofit lawyer. That's right. You're completely nonprofit. But that doesn't seem to bother you. And we're in love. After 13 years of marriage, we're still unbelievably in love. You won't even let me touch you till I've said it. I sing to you. Not all the time, but, but definitely on special occasions. You know, we've, we've dealt with our share of surprises and, and, and made a lot of sacrifices, but we stayed together. You see, you're a better person than I am. And it made me a better person to be around you. I don't know, maybe, maybe it was all just a dream. Maybe I, I went to bed one lonely night in December and I, I imagined it all, but I swear, nothing's ever felt more real. And if you get on that plane right now, it'll disappear forever. I know we could both go on with our lives and we'd both be fine. But I've seen what we could be like together. And I choose us. Please, Kate, one cup of coffee. You can always go to Paris. Just, please, not tonight. Okay, Jack. Funny, I've never met a joyful person who put themselves before everybody else. Ne never met that person. I've met a lot of frustrated people who did that, a lot of depressed people, grumpy, lonely, but never met a joyful person who did that. Why? Because the great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then love your neighbor more than you love yourself. Then what do you suppose the why stands for? Yourself. We'll get there, gang, just not first. We'll get there, just not first. It's not yaj, it's joy. There's a time to focus on yourself. It's just not the first place to start. Yet there is a sense in which we are to focus on ourselves, our, our attitudes. They determine our outcome. 99% of life is pretty much how you respond to what happens. It's your attitude. It's not everything that's happening to you. It's how you respond. You can choose to let bad things make you bitter, which a lot of people do, especially around Christmas. Or you can choose to let the things that happen make you better, which is what trials are for in the first place. Then there's one final movie, right? The Mission. And I saved the most powerful for last on, on purpose because these rich slave traders didn't tell you the whole story and 
See, you got this guy who's played by Robert De Niro in there who's just a ruthless, empty, shallow guy. He's a slave trader. He's gotten pretty wealthy going up into the Amazon and getting these, these tribal people and ripping them out of their homes and sometimes killing who he has to to get them and bringing them back and selling them into slavery. And there's a part in there where he's, you can see he's got money and he's bought a horse and he's really close with his brother and he's training a horse for his brother. You can tell he loves his younger brother. And he's going to get married. He's been gone for about six months trading slaves. And he comes back and he's talking to the woman he's going to marry. And she says, I don't love you anymore. You don't? You've been gone. We have nothing in common. I really don't. In fact, he says, do you love somebody else? Yes, Felipe, his brother. And it devastates him. Because he loves his brother, but he thinks, you know, been a traitor. Why don't you love me? And you could tell, and he, she says, don't hurt him. And he says, I won't. But somehow his passion gets the best of him and he sees them together and he gets jealous and he throws a sword at his brother and he makes him fight and they sort of duel it out and he kills his brother. And it puts him in a, an imprisonment of guilt and sorrow and, and no one's going to do anything to him. But he starved himself for 30, 40 days. He's, he's, he's withered away. He's hardly anything there. And finally a Jesuit priest comes to see him in this little corner, this filthy place where he is, and says, you think you're too bad for God to love you? Yes, get out of here, priest. Because you think there's no redemption for you? No, there's not. I'm in chains. I'm in a prison. I'm lost. And he goes, maybe there's a road back for you. Maybe there's a way to find freedom. Maybe there's some key you've never seen. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because I kind of want to see if you can see it. And he says, I, I have a road, and it's not going to be easy. And this whole idea of penance is not what I want you to see. What I want you to see is the glimpse of joy in this character played by Robert De Niro. He goes on a journey to find joy and to be set free, and here it is. I hope you didn't miss it because our time is up it's forgiveness it's being set free see anything else that we do before we're set free is sort of like being a prisoner in a prison clamoring for the best food in the food line that's it that's what happiness is we're trying to find the best prison uniform or the best license plate making job, but everything's still a prison. Joy is being set free from that prison and living life abundantly. There's a world of difference. Want a joyful Christmas this year? Centered around Jesus. It's not too late. Reset it, centered around Jesus. Then focus on others. In fact, in just a moment, we're gonna close that way. We're gonna close with communion Giving back to God and thinking of others, all joy combining in three different things as we end. First, we're going to take of the good stuff that God has given us, and we're going to freely and joyfully give back to him in our tithes and offerings. Then we're going to remember his gift, which is really not coming for the miraculous birth, but coming to give his sinless life for us on the cross. His blood was shed, his body was broken for us, and so we're going to take communion together as a family. And then we're going to focus on others as again, and, and this coming week will be the last time on the 22nd, we're going to write names on these ornaments and we're pray about them and we're going to bring them to Christmas Eve Eve and Christmas Eve right here in this auditorium. Christmas Eve Eve, 
7 o'clock, Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock for a, a, a service gang. I promise you the Holy Spirit's going to show up. And people are going to be saved. But you got to bring them. So let's focus on Jay, Jesus, others that we're going to bring, and your own attitude yourself in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your gift, Lord. You didn't come to show us how you could be born miraculously and to show us how you could condescend, Lord, although we see all of that in Christmas and what it's about, Lord. But you alone were born for the purpose of dying. We all die, but you died for us. And your gift is your perfect, sinless life given on our behalf, paying a price we can't afford and we couldn't pay. But God, until we receive that gift, we're in a prison and we're not set free. And Father, we are praying that many will be set free in just a little over a week, a very special time. We pray for the harvest. We pray that we'll fill this place, Lord, with the lost. And you'll bring them home and grow your family, Lord. Bring to mind these last couple opportunities that we have, names of people. And then help us to be diligent and do everything we can to get them here on Christmas Eve Eve and Christmas Eve. And then await a great movement of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.